Howdy. Today I'm talking with John Wise, the assistant head coach and sprint hurdle coach at Wichita State. He's a big traveler and movie buff as well, so we definitely have a lot to talk about. He also has his own podcast discussing those very same topics. It's called Words with a Wise Guy that you should check out. Anyway, enjoy the show. So what's what's funny is, too, our podcast almost ended up being the same podcast because we kind of talk about, you know, the whole track and travel and movies thing. And when you look at the Venn diagram of those three things, we are both very much right in the center of all that. And I would say easy to make the argument that you're kind of you've kind of won up to me in all three areas with the possible exception of uh, movies. I might be able to hang with you and and, uh, we'll get to that for sure. But let's use this conversation as an introduction to your beginnings in all three of those areas. And I wanted to start with track. So I just kind of generally know that you're from Ohio or Cincinnati or whatever and kind of knew Coach Bolt from your time in college. But how did you get started in sports just in general growing up? But then also what got you into track specifically and your experience through that? Well, I played every sport I could as a kid. And, you know, I was into baseball. You know, I was playing soccer. I was racing go-karts. I was into real into racing growing up. Um, motorsports. My family's a motorsports family. And I knew I was a fast kid because I could outrun anybody in the sports I played as a kid. But I couldn't do track until the seventh grade where I'm from. And uh, we didn't have like a summer track program. I'm from way out in the country. I grew up on a tobacco farm in southern Ohio. So hmm. kind of, you know, way out in the, in the middle of nowhere. And so I started running track in junior high and was uh, the fastest kid, you know, at my school and didn't meet a kid that was faster than me for a couple years and uh, so then uh, that was kind of the start and got involved in some summer track as, as a young kid in junior high and, and then but I was a I, basketball was my main sport at that time I thought I was going to be a college basketball player I was pretty decent high school basketball player and then about the 11th grade I improved quite a bit and I won a state title in Ohio in the 400 so once that happened I was a division one level track athlete and I was a division two level basketball right. athlete. And so decided to pursue track and went to Kent State University. Coach Rainbolt, who's our head coach here at Wichita State, uh, came to Wichita State my third year. And I'm sorry, came to Kent State <laughs> my third year. Okay, so he didn't recruit you. Okay. Correct. Right. I I, I was there already. He inherited me. <laughs> and and uh, so and we connected right away. I had red, I had a red shirt year, so I had three years with Coach Rainbolt. And nice. I kind of struggled, had some injuries before he got there. And then I really improved a lot with him. And, and my last year, as a fifth-year senior, I had my biggest improvements and had a real nice year. So I really bought into what he taught. Um, did not want to necessarily go into the coaching world. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I, had, I was kind of a you know computer guy back in the day. Hmm. And I was designing websites and things like that the early days of internet. Oh, right. And so I stayed on uh, in the athletic department. Coach Rainbow hired me for $5,000 my first year out of college. <laughs> and I'm not sure who got the bargain on that one. But, <laughs> he, you know, as, as kind of a kind of a, what they would call director of ops nowadays, there wasn't that term back then. Oh, right, right. And so I did all the travel and stuff and I did all the meat management. And then that worked into when he left about two years later, the coaching job opened up at Kent. And so I 
took that and then that started my coaching. And then after five years at Kent, after I graduated from Kent, I was there five years on staff. I actually moved back home where I'm from near near Cincinnati area and coached my high school alma mater for three years. And then I got back, you know, wanted to get back into college coaching and called Coach Rainbolt again. And he had a job here at Wichita State that uh, was a part-time position that paid $6,000. Oh, wow. And so... Uh, eight years later, after you hired me for five thousand dollars, you hired me for six thousand dollars. I, I would say the second time around, he was getting the bargain for sure. <laughs> I hope so. I don't know. <laughs> yes, we'll see. Yeah, so that was that's how I got to Wichita State. That was two thousand six, so fourteen years ago, and it's been a pretty good ride ever since. Yeah, that's kind of, and then it's just kind of interesting because I, I did go to WSU for four years, and then I just missed Coach Rainbow. So when I I finished up in the spring of 2000 and that was when JK retired as well so that fall was when Rainbow came in so I, I just just missed working with him and I've just been uh, I mean we could talk about Rainbow the whole time I'm sure but I've just been so right. impressed with what he's done at Wichita State there I've just kind of been in all of it both the, both as an alumni you know who ran WSU and also as a, as a track coach so it's, it's been I don't know just uh, really really fun to watch him and uh, see the success you guys have had. I did see you just had that, what is it, 62 holes of golf for uh, his 62nd yeah. birthday. And I didn't think about, yeah. until you guys were talking about it, how long that does take, because I don't golf at all. So I guess I didn't think about that being an all-day kind of activity. Yes. When you walk it, it's definitely an all-day activity. Uh, and he's walking, he's not running, he's hitting legitimate golf shots every time. Right. Uh, but, but yeah, but to, to go back to um, Coach Rainbolt for a minute, he's been successful anywhere he's he's been he would be obviously a great podcast guy if you could get him on if you, if you just gotta nail him down yeah <laughs> yeah that's that's definitely a tough thing but he was you know coaching at nebraska he was part of a, a team that won a national title at nebraska in the in the uh 80s in a women's title oh wow and then at, at kent state we had good teams at kent state before he came i mean we were we were good but he came and, and it just took it to another level and we had never won conference titles before, and then that started happening, uh, you know, kind of right at the tail end of his, he was there five years. And then the same thing at Wichita State, you know, obviously it's been a heck of a run. Now it's 20 years. Yeah, and I, I always kind of just assumed, honestly, again, from the outside looking in, I just assumed after, after about five or, you know, five or eight years, I was like, okay, well, he's going to use this then to go on and get that, you know, Arkansas LSU level job or whatever. And he, and he just stayed. And I kind of realized, oh, this is just going to be his retirement job, which is great for Wichita State. But I was just kind of surprised that he never uh, wanted to go on elsewhere after Wichita State and use it as a stepping stone. You know, it's funny how those things change because people ask me the same thing. I've oh, been true. here 14 years. Right. And, you know, I probably didn't think that I would be here 14 years because, and, and if you look at our staff, Coach Hetzendorf has true, been here the true. same amount of time as Coach Rainbow. Uh, Heidi Yost Benton well, has yeah. actually, she was here before Coach Rainbow. She, she was there when, she was, she was there when I was, yeah. she was a teammate of mine. Yep. And she's still here. And Coach Wilson, our pole vault coach, he also a teammate of mine. <laughs> yeah. And then Coach Hunter is like the young guy. He's been here like 10 years. Only. <laughs> yeah, I know. And, you know, and so he, he wants this to be his final job. And um, I don't know if that, that wasn't all of our plans, but it shows Wichita State's a great place to work. There are definitely a lot of jobs out there that aren't great jobs in track and field in the college level. So you got to right. be careful to just move somewhere for more money. Or, right, if you're chasing prestige, yeah. Right, and so... I think we're all level-headed that way and, and not, you know, money isn't always the most important factor in our lives, but, you know, I think it's just worked out that way. And I think it's one of the reasons we had a lot of success because we haven't had 
much turnover in our coaching True. staff. And so it's even through the change in the conference, we've been able to keep the continuity of the coaching staff together and to battle through that little adjustment. And, and we seem to have figured that out. Right. Uh, and you guys, and you seem such a good uh, fit together too. And I, I would compare it maybe to maybe like a basketball pro- program like Gonzaga. It's like, well, why does that coach not leave? It's like, oh, because he can be the god at Gonzaga for 30 years instead of, you mm-hmm. know, going up to, you know, UCLA and then they fire him after seven years or something. And yeah. It's it's interesting how sometimes that doesn't work out how people might think. But I think that you put our staff anywhere in America and we're going to be good. And I, No, I agree. I agree. Yeah. The coaches at University of Arkansas right now, who's won a national title, they were at Northern Iowa in the, in the Missouri Valley. And oh, right. We would go back and forth with them and they'd beat us and we'd beat them as about a 50-50, you know, winning percentage. And so, you know, and, and they've gone up. A level, I guess you'd call it, and competitiveness in the SEC, but continued to win based on a similar philosophy they had at Northern Iowa. So I think that we would be successful. I think we're good coaches. I think that we develop the athletes. We recruit hard. We recruit as good of an athlete as we can get. You know, we're not going to get always the blue chip athlete, uh, the number one recruit in the nation very often. So we have to coach kids up. We have to get them better because we are competing against Texas and LSU right. and Nebraska and Oklahoma at the NCAA prelims. And, and we're getting a lot of people through. And uh, so so we have to be good coaches and we can't just get some kids here and, and hope they do well. So we have to. So we get a lot of Kansas kids, you know, obviously, and we develop those kids. And, and I think we've found a niche in knowing that these kids from places like Cheney, Kansas, are going to get better as they develop through high through college and and you know maybe they didn't focus just on track and field throughout their high school career and so we we might have we might recruit a little lower athlete lower level athlete in terms of their marks knowing that they're going to develop more by the time they're 20 21 22 years old so um, we've kind of figured that out, I think, too. And that above all else is what has impressed me with with you guys, because, you know, not to mention any other schools in the state, but I feel like there's less of a willingness for them to do that. And I think I, I almost get mad when I see other schools you know, kind of like blow off some of my athletes and then you guys turn them into All-Americans. And I'm like, are they not willing to develop athletes? It, I don't understand. It's like it's not already national caliber. It's like they don't want to touch them. And it's just frustrating for me as a coach because I see the potential that then you guys are getting out of them. And anyway, yeah, so hats, hats off to you guys for that. It's tough. Like, I, I know what you're saying, and I don't disagree at the same time. Now that we're in a different conference, it has changed our recruiting a little bit. For instance, for myself, the 100 meters is a little bit different than it was in the Missouri Valley True. right now. Right. Um, and so now for me to recruit a kid who runs 10.8, I would have done that in a heartbeat when we were in Missouri Valley, but a 10.8 kid has a long, long, long way to go to score any points in our league. So I may be a little less likely to recruit that 10.8. It doesn't mean I don't want to recruit him, but I've got to set my sights a little bit higher. So I can understand maybe in a different conference where those coaches are needing to, to recruit a kid with a better mark. But at the same time, I still think those kids in those smaller towns and smaller schools should get recruited or given a little bit more leeway because I know they're going to get a lot better. So that's we still are going to recruit those kids. We still send them letters. We're still right. The scholarship might not be 
very much sometimes, but we're still going to try to recruit those kids, even if we are a little bit different level. But other than the, like the 100 and 200, our conference is pretty similar. So it's just with Houston in our league yeah. right now, yeah. uh, it, it's made those events a little different. And there's other teams that have great sprinters too. It's not just them, but so we're figuring it out. We almost won the men's conference last year. We won the women's conference last year. So I think we're zeroing in on our strategy a little bit pretty quickly and it still just blows my mind that you guys literally coach against carl lewis like that's just (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's that is crazy i i was uh today i was watching film with a kid and it was of some sprinting from the 1980s Mm. for some reason we got to talk about ben johnson the sprinter yep yep. and i pulled up a video of him running and there's carl lewis next to him i go oh hey there's the houston coach by the way (laughs) because a lot of our kids don't know about carl lewis no that's what's weird Uh, yeah yeah for me it was hero (laughs) Yeah, you never feel as old when you you mention someone who you think is a household name and they just look at you blankly like I've never heard of that person. <laughs> Pretty soon these kids aren't going to know who Usain Bolt was if they don't if they already are not. You're right. And, and that's yeah, so crazy. yeah, and it's that's exactly going to happen and it's going to happen sooner than we think because it's going to be the kids <laughs> that are, you know, maybe they're 11 now and then I'm going to have them in 3 years and they're not going to have heard of Usain Bolt. You're right. It's 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 crazy. It's so when I'm usually talking to people, most of them don't have a track specific background. So what I usually kind of parlay that into is just kind of talking about exercise in general. So with your schedule, do you have much time to work out yourself anymore these (laughs) days? I know a lot of sprinters definitely retire more than distance runners tend to, but uh, as far as like lifting weights or anything like that, is there anything you do to kind of stay fit or is just being at practice every day, your, your exercise? I am definitely not doing a great job of my (laughs) post uh, college career fitness. I, I did until I was probably 30. I did a pretty good job. And actually, I was running. I did some competitive running up until 30 years old. Okay. In terms of some track and field, you know, I ran unattached in some meets, you know, after college a little bit. And then kind of got away from it and life priorities took over. And right. so I've, I am not in very, I'm not a very fit guy um, right now. Actually, today it's funny because I sent a message to someone that I'm getting ready to get going again, trying to get fit. And I, took a picture of my first workout and I sent it to him, you know, try to motivate each other. And, uh, so today, there you go. Today was the, oh, the beginning perfect. of the comeback. Perfect. Uh, but it, you know, you do say active. I, I do, you know, I wear a Fitbit and it's always interesting to see how much activity you have in a day. And then when, if I don't have much, I try to get out and do something in the evening, but I'm generally getting, you know, 12,000 steps a day. Right. And, right. Which is five, six miles of walking. And that kind of adds up when you're just when compared to a job that maybe you're just sitting in an office in a chair and at a computer all day and so i'm pretty active that way i'm I'm walking a lot on campus i'm at practice being active and trying to demonstrate some things here and there but definitely not at the fitness level i need to be or the body weight but we're going to work on that (laughs) and hopefully by next time you see me it'll be a little bit better i fluctuate you know it's we we do some crazy stuff in the office we'll do some a month-long you know challenge with each other and get all motivated because we're competitive with each other and right. do stuff like that. So I think we're about ready to do something like that again. Yeah. And that's, I think that's someone I was talking about with Hunter where I will feel lazy a lot of the time, but it's basically, I feel lazy if I'm not doing close to college level workouts because that's my background. Yeah. And I, I would, may think you're a little bit the same way as far as, okay, I know I'm not near as shape as I could be, but compared to the general population, we, we still probably do do all right, I suppose. I feel pathetic right now, and <laughs> I probably do more than the average person. Right. No, and, which, yeah, which says a lot about our society. 
And it's one of the reasons I don't do master's track. I've had a lot of people ask me to do master's track. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons is, is because I don't want to run a 24 second, 200 meter dash and feel good about it. Like I, that just doesn't seem very fun to me to run a 24 second, 200, which is three seconds slower than I ran right. You know, years ago. And be excited that doesn't it's not exciting at all to right run that slow. And, that, and that's the so same with me in road races that. yeah i mean i haven't ran a road race in over three years because it doesn't if i'm going to do it i'm going to train to run as fast as i can run and despite my age i know what kind of times i could run if i put in the work but i don't really have the time to put in that level of work so i'll just not run right. road races yeah yeah so i've got other goals rather than I've, i got kind of, that kind of out of my system as a runner i yeah. think when i was about and I, I just for me, I, nothing against those guys. I, we host Masters Track Meets at Wichita State, right. and I'm amazed by these guys. The 80 years old out there running the hurdles. I can't no, even believe true, it. No, true, true. Can't imagine I'm going to be able awesome. that way. But, but I, for me, I'm motivated to do other things than than that. Which you know, I had a great running career, did it for a long time, and and that's definitely in my past. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, I get, I get, I get plenty out of being around college kids and watching them get better and, yeah. you know, trying to help them. Well, and that's, sure. then that's, that's probably a good button there as we transition to the next thing here is, uh, you know, getting into coaching. I think that's what no one ever tells you or you don't ever fully understand. It's like you basically get to vicariously relive all the, you know, success and excitement of your own career times every athlete you coach. And it's just, so rewarding, so rewarding, and it's just hard to you know explain that to someone who hasn't hasn't been through it. Yeah, Coach Rainbolt, he'll often stand in front of our team and he'll say, "I wish I could trade places with you. I wish I could be in your shoes and getting ready to compete at this conference championship." And coaching you is the next best thing I could do. I wish I could be you, but I can't be you anymore. So coaching you is the next best thing. And that's why I love. Perfect. Him, yeah. You know, yeah. and I agree. I agree with him. It's you know seeing a kid. Uh, improve and, and do things. When, when I was coaching high school track, I did it for three years. That's probably when I really fell in love with coaching. I was at Kent State for five years and I was coaching high school after that. So it was a little bit of a weird trajectory. But I really love, I mean, I worked with, you know, guys that were 12, 8, and 100 and they ended up running 11, 3 and it was a huge success. Exactly. exactly. Fulfilling yeah. is yeah. all get out, you know. And and um, so I, I that was a, in my core. That's what I love to do is help kids to figure that out and we're just doing it at a different level here at Wichita State. Yeah, yeah. So let's shift to travel. And again, you've definitely done a lot more than I have. I mean I, I stay active in the travel world, I guess, as well, but you have left the country far more often than I have. But again, I wanted to go kind of back to the beginning there as well. Did you travel a lot growing up or is it just something you kind of got into once you got to Wichita and all that? Or what's kind of your quick history of uh traveling growing up? As I've thought about why I like traveling now, I, I look back at it and it makes sense because when, when I was little, like little, little, we would always do a family vacation. We'd hop in a, our station wagon and drive to Florida or something or go to out here, this part of the country and see places. And as a little kid, you know, that's a tough trip because right. you, you don't have any patience at all. <laughs> um, but, I, but I remember looking at maps as a kid because that's how you figured out where you went. You got a map. And you would drive <laughs> on this line. You would figure it out somehow. I don't know how we figured it out. No, right. It's crazy it to come back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so we did a lot of family vacations. And then once I got into sports, high school and then into college, and then obviously coaching, we're traveling all the time. And you get this thing inside you that you just get used to going somewhere every weekend. And, uh, you know, I loved when I was in college, I got to go to California and Florida and all across the country. Then as a coach, you're recruiting, you're going all kinds of places. So 
I didn't really travel outside the country except for being from Ohio. I had been to Canada. And then in like junior high, I went to on a cruise with my family to the Caribbean. Hmm. And so that was it until in my 30s, really. Okay. And once once I was able to have a little bit maybe of savings, I kind of, you know, I, was, I didn't have any money. You, know, you heard how much money I made for you know, a while. <laughs> I wasn't making any money. Yeah. Um, but once I was able to get a little established and have some money, I took a recruiting trip to Europe. And oh, nice. that's really what got things started. So I was able to pay for some of my trip with work. And then I also made it a vacation because I knew people throughout Europe that I'd coached in the past where I had friends and had those connections still. So I went to Ireland, I went to Paris, I went to London and stayed for free and just kind of was a bum and just figured out what, how to live, you know, go in Europe for a couple weeks. And yeah. then once I did that, I was like, I really like that. And so <laughs> yeah. that kind of started me every summer doing a trip. And since then I've Every trip, I've tried to top the one before, and it's kind of gotten a little bit crazy. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, to this past year, I went to South America, and it was probably the craziest of all. But yeah, it's uh, I and and I can't wait to figure out what the next one will be. So I'm definitely have gotten the travel bug and and excited for whatever adventure is next. Yeah, and so how how do you decide? It's basically just kind of kind of like a just a general kind of bucket list, or you kind of have a list of possible ideas, and just for as like I'm sure you, you say you don't know where you're going next, but I'm guessing you have probably five ideas, and just haven't picked which I one. Do. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I've got in my phone, I've got half a dozen or twelve ideas okay. about where I'd like to go, and I don't think about it. Like I don't sit here and go, hmm, let's figure it out. I I probably wait until uh, let's see, it's October now, maybe February or something March, hmm. I'll start thinking about it. And I, I read a book one time that said, you know, don't decide where you're going a year in advance because you might change your mind in six months, you know? And true. And so I try not to think about it too much until we get heavy into the track season. <laughs> and then I'm like, okay, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. I'll start thinking about something like that. And uh, so, yeah, I, I've got some ideas. Some of it is, you know, I don't, I don't have an unlimited budget, so I right. do have to kind of consider that. And um, I probably do. I probably extend myself a little too much in that area sometimes. But um, as I've, if, I, if I'm trying to find the next place, part of it is I, I've gotten very adventurous and I want to see things and experience things I've never seen. So I'm trying not to go somewhere I've ever, ever been before. Right. Is one of the things. And then I'm just trying to put myself into positions or places I would not normally be. Like the first time I really did that, Europe was not too out of my element, but I went to Southeast Asia and just by myself, I, I usually do these trips by myself and I went by myself and just to get out of my element to force me to really deal with a foreign place and right. that doesn't speak the language. And I think that's really healthy. And after a couple of days of struggle of trying to figure things out and figure and then getting it figured out, I realized, okay, I can do this and I really enjoy it. So that the next time I don't have any kind of trepidation or anything about going somewhere. Like this summer I was in South America for two and a half weeks and I hardly found anybody that spoke English. Right. And there weren't Americans anywhere. And I was fine. It was not always easy to communicate. I was mostly embarrassed for myself because they would ask me something and I, you know, I had a couple prepared Spanish phrases. Um, I was fine. We, we can communicate generally without speaking the same language in this world. And then, you know, once you get beyond that fear of communication or you learn how to travel in other places because everywhere is a little unique and how to get around. Um, but once you've done that a few times, you feel like you can go about anywhere. And that's how I feel now. I'm 
there's probably places I wouldn't go by myself still in this world. Or just for safety, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just for safety, but not many. I've been to some pretty crazy places. Uh, I probably wouldn't go on an African safari driving the car by myself, you know, or something right, like that. Right, right. But there's a, you know, most of the world is pretty safe and ready to go see for sure. Yeah, I've uh, I've definitely tried to be better about that, but at the same time, some of the things you're saying make me a little anxious. <laughs> yeah, I try to I try to research. So like, whenever I figure out where I'm going, I'm buying books. I'm reading on the. I'm yeah. every day reading something about it and. Um, I go, okay, well, that makes sense. Okay, here's some scams. I got to make sure I'm not, you know, going to get scammed out of some money. And, um, you know, I research the areas where I stay and uh, all that kind of stuff. But I've stayed in some pretty shady places before. And I've been places that, you know, who knows, maybe I shouldn't have been. But I've, it's always worked out fine. Now, I am a guy. Probably if I was a girl traveling by true, myself, I might have true. a little bit. I get that question a lot. But I see a lot of women out there traveling all by themselves. I was in Machu Picchu uh, this year and I was on a train ride and in my little travel group, there was this girl from Canada and she was, she had been traveling for six months all by herself and just traveling around the world and she was doing fine. You know, now obviously she just had to make sure she didn't put herself in situations that were for safety reasons, but she was doing fine. I see lots of women out there. I think once you figure it out, once you kind of know where not to be, I, I, I rarely go anywhere in dark when I'm in a foreign country, okay. I'm, I'm exploring and I get up early, which I'm not a morning person usually, but on a vacation, I get up early, I explore. And when it gets dark, I'm about ready to head home and, and lay low for the night to rest up for the next day, you know? So, um, unless there's something to see at night, uh, Oh, true, true. And, uh, yeah, I think you, you just definitely have to do your, your due diligence of the research and everything. And the one that came to mind when you mentioned that is I remember when I was in Amsterdam, like the guidebooks said, like a common scam is people will offer to sell you drugs. And then once you go to the alley, they'll basically like stab or rob or whatever. Yeah. You know, basically it's like, they're going to get your money. Yep. And we did have people, you know, you're kind of walking through that red life district there just to experience something at night, as you were saying. And there's at least one dude that like offered us drugs. I'm like, Oh my gosh. Like not that we were going to do the drugs anyway, but just thinking that like that guy might've wanted to actually stab us if we had followed him to right. an alley to get drugs. And it is kind of scary. Yeah. I, I did, my cousin was actually had a knife pulled on him in Berlin, I think. And you do, you do have to just be aware. And I think I probably go a little too far where I get hyper aware and being mm-hmm. from a small town, I think I would, get, I tend to get a little anxious in, in bigger cities. But then what I started to tell myself is, okay, there's a hundred people on the street. Why are they going to single you out to be the one person they mug right now? Like, and yeah. especially being you know younger and male, you're probably more you know again be smart, but you don't you don't you don't distress it. And I've gotten a lot better just last decade traveling. And again, it's just yeah. it's experience that you can't. There's no substitute for it. And I it is right. I would say my only advice is if it seems too good to be true, it probably is when you're correct. When you're, if somebody's correct. offering you something, and so I for me <laughs> the when I was in uh, I was in Thailand, and uh, what, one of the things that I noticed that people weren't trying to rob me, but they were just trying to scam me out of a couple bucks because oh, a couple yes. bucks to them is oh, right. huge. Right. And so they weren't trying to steal a hundred dollars. They were trying to steal $2 and <laughs> they would do it in creative ways. Right. And, you know, they were very good. At, so, and I got scammed out of a couple. And when that happened, she's like, you know what? That happened. I, I shouldn't, I guess I paid too much money for that. Oh, well, I'm going to move on. I'm and, not going to yeah. argue about it. That's going to make it worse. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that in Rome too, and it's they're good, and they they definitely take advantage of uh, exploiting tourists and and your uh, oh your compassion. Like they try to use your compassion yes. against you, and it's 
you feel like uh, you have to be kind of cold-hearted going through some of those places. But if not, you're going to walk out of there with a lot less money, and you're probably not actually helping anybody in need. You're just uh, feeding the beast, I guess. Yeah, if you can find somebody local, that's always good. If you can, either you know somebody that lives there or... Uh, somehow you make a friend or something like that you, you trust. That's always a good way to explore the city, maybe at nighttime or places that you would feel uncomfortable going by yourself. Other than that, if I don't have that, I'm not going to go places that are, you know, at nighttime or whatever. Even if it's a pretty safe place, I'm generally going to be laying low indoors at nighttime. So do you have any general travel tips? Like, do you try to pack light? I know I always try to go out of my way to not check a bag when I fly. It depends on where I'm going. Like this summer, when I went to South America, it was difficult because it was winter there. Oh, right. But I was also on the entire continent from like Easter Island, where it was pretty warm, to I was in Bolivia in the mountains where it was freezing cold winter. Mm. And so I didn't want to pack a big, heavy coat so I just did lots of layers, and I layered up as much as I could. And, you know, you can always buy things if you have to. Right. And so that's what, you know, I, I do try to pack light. And, yeah, I didn't. Everything I had was small in a couple bags so that I could take it with me and not check it and all that kind of stuff. So I, even with the extreme temperatures I was at this summer, I didn't check a big bag. Now, I was in New Zealand and Fiji last year, and I did because there were significant, there was... I don't know, 70 degree temperature changes from where I was at in different places. And and I was in really cold winter in parts of New Zealand that I just felt like I needed some, make sure I had different clothes. But I do, I tried to do laundry a couple times on my trip. Uh, So whenever I'm staying at like a Airbnb or something cheap like that, I'll always make sure they have laundry so I could do that. Um, Or even at a hotel, that's always a, a good thing to make sure they have laundry service. And it might cost a couple bucks more than if you were doing laundry in Wichita. But uh, it keeps you from packing more clothes, which is saving you the money. Right. You're, you're buying your own space from yourself. And yeah, that's probably a good way to think about it. And yeah, I feel like I'm never, I'm always moving too much. I feel like I'm never going to have time to do laundry because I feel like I'm always out and about and I'm only at, you know, the hotel or, or Airbnb to sleep. And then like, I don't even know when I would do laundry. But I guess, again, it's probably worth scheduling something like that in there so I can take half as many clothes. Well, and and you can a lot of those a lot of these countries have like a little laundry service oh, and you true. can just drop drop off a bag and you come back later in the day and it's sitting on your bed you know and they've done it all for you so for 5 bucks so it's there's a lot of places like that one of the best pieces of advice I got from a, a teacher here at Cheney, he said, uh, whenever you're going for like, you know, uh, you know, for a week or two, just take all your oldest underwear and throw it away as you go. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. So that's really good. I, I thought that was a good tip. <laughs> I'll have to do that next time. <laughs> I got plenty of it. Yeah, and then on uh, flights or anything, same. Th- is that kind of what you made what determines where you're going? Then too, you mentioned the cost being an issue. You just kind of see where is it cheap to fly? As I'm starting to look in February and March. Yeah, I can a little bit. I'm probably not as good at that because I probably just figure out where I want to go. And okay, if, and, and I I do look at the flights. I do you know if it's too expensive, um, I would definitely try to figure out something else but the other thing i'll do is i'll, I'll kind of have like a number in my in my head about what i want the entire trip to cost right. so what what i did this summer i had to do a lot of flying i had 15 flights oh my gosh. on my on my vacation this summer and it was just kind of how i had to do it to see everything i wanted to see a lot of other stuff i just stayed super cheap the airbnbs in south america are ridiculously cheap i, I mean 15 bucks 20 bucks oh, like wow. you can you can stay a lot of times I might stay in a hotel or something like that more often. But so I just went super cheap, maybe didn't stay in the nicest places ever, but I was fine. I'm low maintenance that way. 
food. I didn't eat at a, a bunch of expensive restaurants. I ate kind of normal, casual places that were all inexpensive. So because the plane tickets were more expensive or I had to do more of them, um, I cut down my other costs. And I didn't, I'm not a big souvenir person, so I didn't buy a lot of stuff here and there. I just buy a couple little things. So I didn't really spend anything extravagant other than the plane tickets. So I was able to keep my cost to the, but now if my, if I can get a super cheap plane ticket, I might splurge and get a nice hotel or oh, uh, gosh, it yeah. up that way. Yeah. So I just kind of have a budget in mind for what I want the whole trip to cost. And, um, and then I'll go that way. But yeah, I had to do a ton of flying. <laughs> I love flying. I love oh, really? airports. I love <laughs> landing in some random airport that's tiny little airport or getting on a plane that looks a little sketchy. I love that kind of stuff. So. Yeah, those are, those are cool. Yeah, I always I see more of driving and flying as just a necessary evil in a lot of ways. Now, at the same time, though, I guess I kind of see oh, nostalgia is not the right word, but I, I, I see the I see the draw and I kind of see what you're talking about. But at the same time, uh, and I guess you got the people watching thing at airports too is always kind of fascinating. <laughs> yeah, it's just I don't know what it is about airports. I, I I'm really fascinated by little small airports and like I flew into this little small airport this year in Uni Bolivia, which is where the world's largest salt flats are. Okay, yeah, and, yeah. And yeah. uh, it was a one person airport. I mean, it was literally one person running the whole show in the whole airport. Oh my gosh! And it was hilarious, you know and and we got out, and there's about 14 of us on a little airplane, and we got out, and there's one person got the bags, and they brought it in, and they that was the same person that checked us in the next <laughs> next day when we left, you know? And, oh, wow. And so I just find that that's, you know, hilarious and unique. and Just a mom-and-pop airport when just pop yeah. was working, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, and there's, you know, if you need help, uh, they you know who to ask, because there's only one version there to, to help you. Yeah, I tend to plan much farther ahead of time like i basically my goal is to go to japan next summer and i've kind of had that on the radar for a couple years i just especially seeing what you're doing like i just feel like i have not used my passport near enough i've basically i've only left the country twice since i got my passport in you know 2009 or 10 and just trying to get out of the country a lot more to this idea of uh improvising a little more though because uh, i only coach in the fall and the spring so i have a little more time in the winter a lot of time than you do with indoor so sometimes i'll take a little mini trip in the winter but i kind of plan that ahead too but the whole cheap flight thing so my mm-hmm. plan for next winter is to maybe just kind of wait and see like no i'm going somewhere in january and i will decide based on wherever has the ridiculously cheap flight because yep. That gets frustrating when it's like, okay, let's say I want to go to Paris. Well, if you want to go to Paris in June, you're looking at at least a thousand, probably more like you know thirteen hundred dollars right. for your flight. But if you want to go to Paris in November, you might be able to go for six hundred dollars from Wichita. And I kind of want to take advantage of that sometime yep. here. And you know, and, and maybe it is you know go to go to Paris in the winter just to take advantage of the cheap flight in the off season. I think that's the big thing too is the off season. Now with South sure. America, it being winter down there. Does it still end up being a tourist off season, or yes. because it's okay? Because so many of the tourists come from the northern hemisphere. It's it was it was the off season. Um, okay, or but yeah, there the was still of that. Yeah, there were yeah it was the opposite. So the weather was not as good, but it was fine. The one time or the one place that was you know I was there in the off season. These salt flats. Is if you go in the rainy season, which is like their summer or winter, they had that glass effect on the salt flats mm. where it's like a mirror of the sky huh. and that's where a lot of people to get these crazy photos right that's so there's more tourist time at, at that time of the year there other than that easter island was amazing and it was great the weather was good it was 70 degrees it was perfect you know and like peru and all that kind of stuff was fine the weather was 
decently warm. Like you could, it was 60 degrees. That's their winter, you know? And, no, right. Um, so, so it's not freezing cold. The, the up in the mountains of Bolivia was very cold. I stayed in a salt hotel one night with no heat and it was 17 degrees. It was freezing cold and about killed me. But that was the one time I was like, this, this is not a good idea, <laughs> but, uh, I can laugh at it now. But, uh, but yeah, in terms of, I, I'll do sometimes a last minute thing over Christmas. My mom lives in Florida. And so every year I go to Florida last year, I found a super cheap cruise and I just went on a cruise, uh, right around Christmas. Oh, huh. And, Saw my mom for a few days and then I went down to Miami and hopped on a boat, went on a cruise. So one thing, other thing I'll do is I'll pick a destination and then I'll figure out, okay, what can I do on the way or on the way back? So yes. when I went to New Zealand, the cheapest way to go was through Fiji. And so when I figured that out, I'm like, oh, okay, well, what if I just go to Fiji for three days and then go to New Zealand? It was the same exact cost of the flights. Exactly. Yep. And so, you know, when you're thinking about Japan, I would start thinking about, okay, what's in the ocean between here and Japan? <laughs> Hawaii. Know, there's something Hawaii. I can stop yeah. at. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Or there's a Guam or some right, other right. place that I would not be able to go to normally. I'd probably... I'd probably pay an extra couple hundred bucks and go do that on the way back and just to see it because I probably never go that way before. Coach Wilson's been to Japan, so you might want to talk to Coach Wilson. He's Oh, nice. I'll have to ask him about that next time I see him. Now, at the same time, though, then the, I get the whole, you know, your eyes are bigger than your stomach, so to speak, thing where I'm like, well, if I'm in Japan, I'm just a little quick little flight over to South Korea. Well, then I want something. And then all of a sudden it becomes, okay, yep. I, I, you got to draw the line somewhere, too. So I totally do that. I am I am overextend <laughs> myself. And that's why I go by myself because... There is no way somebody would enjoy going with me on some of these trips because I am on the go almost all the time. I am smart enough to get to give myself a day of rest here and there because okay. I know I need it. But like this trip to South America to really have appreciated the places I was at, I probably needed to spend more time or to adjust to the altitude mm. changes. There was some high altitude that I, I struggled with a little bit. But I was <laughs> I was moving back and forth to different places. And I like that, though. I just know myself. If I'm somewhere for three days, I'm, I'm ready to go to the next place. I'm just, I know how that about myself. True. And I... And I tend to go by myself as well because I again because I know that most people can't keep up, and not even necessarily from a physical standpoint. It is kind of like a mental thing. Like yep. I was with my when I went to Europe in 2010, I went with my brother and one of his buddies. They would sleep in until like 10 a.m. And of course, they were up yeah. drinking the night before and stuff too. And we're just like, you can sleep and drink at home. I want to exactly. see Europe. So yep. yeah, I would be up at like, oh man, or even like this summer when I was out doing national parks and stuff, I was waking up at like 4.30 to beat the crowds to the national parks because Absolutely. I don't know, that's just kind of how I do it. But I get that I would it'd be a hard ask to get someone else to <laughs> get on board with the same schedule. Yeah, it's hard to find somebody. You can, that's great. I mean, if you can true, find somebody true. who can help cut your costs in half right. a lot of times, and that's really good. But yeah, I didn't take... Uh, I didn't have a drink, you know. I, I think I had a half a glass of wine. It was like celebrating the end of a trip with some guys from Colombia that I just met. Oh, nice! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Took yeah. a half a glass of wine, but that was it. And I, yeah, I, like you said, I'm I'm ready to get up and go see what I'm never probably going to see again. I don't want to, you know, miss something in the morning by sleeping a little bit later. When, yeah. I'm a little nervous with Japan. My uh, my brother and his uh, wife have talked about uh, tagging along for at least part of the trip or meeting me there or something. And uh, so we'll we'll see how that goes. Like I I do, I, I do want them there. Yeah, meet them for a weekend or meet them for two days. Yeah, true. Or something like that, and say hey. Yeah, yeah. Sounds good. I'll meet you on Friday, Saturday here. And other than that, peace out. <laughs> right. Although in the country where. And uh, you saying it went well gives me a little more hope. But like when it is a country where they, I don't speak the language, I, language I I do feel like I want someone there to basically uh, to brainstorm with 
it, yeah. I, I just like that. Just having that sounding board, I think, would be nice. Of course, again, now with the, uh, I mean, everything's you can just Google anything, even when you're over in Japan. Like it's it's almost less of an issue now than it's ever been. So you've got internet, so you can always like text people, and you can right, always right. you know communicate. So I was in Iceland for nine or ten days in a van by myself, didn't talk to a single person, <laughs> and. Now I, I would get out, I'd eat, I would talk to somebody at a restaurant, you know, like a oh, yeah, yeah, or something yeah. like that. But generally I was in a van driving or exploring the entire time by myself. And um, I found it in moments where I was in the middle of nowhere by myself for hours. It was exhilarating to a oh, point yeah, of yeah. thinking about where I was, what I was seeing, that I'm only seeing this with my unique perspective. And I come home from that experience refreshed and with a different perspective to for my life to help other people try to you know experience something new and so um I, it's kind of nice to not talk to people for a little while obviously you want to get back to the real world and connect with people but yeah, i yeah. enjoy that i know coach wilson he'll go on some like fishing trips or he'll go on some hunting trips out way up in canada where there's no way you can communicate for you know a week with anyone he goes this is the best week of my year and <laughs> Uh, you know, just you get away from that phone for a while yeah. and you can, you know, the something, your brain switches and you're able to really focus on what you're doing and experience where you're at for sure. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not religious at all. So I see what you're talking about right there. That is my spirituality right there. Is that kind of just that kind of Zen or connection with the universe or the world or whatever and just, or yourself and just kind of that reflection. And it's, uh, yeah. I think it's important. It is important. Absolutely. And we can actually use travel to transition into movies here because I do remember from your podcast that you mentioned your favorite movie was Up in the Air with George Clooney, which yes. is which is set in all those airports that you <laughs> love so much. Including Wichita. Wichita including Wichita. Including Wichita. Yeah. That's right. And uh, <laughs> actually, yeah, well, I think one of the characters that commits suicide is uh, in Wichita. Yes. Although she jumps of off a bridge, right? Because it's like, well, where'd she do that? Right. Yeah. There's not a bridge big enough. I don't think that. I don't know. Maybe. Who knows? Unless you just jumped on a highway somewhere. But yeah. 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 That's. I love. I love that movie. It's. If anybody's seen that movie, a lot of people have a negative. It's like a sad movie, and I'm like, no, I didn't. I love this movie because you know the his kind of accepting being a single person. Yeah. Oh, yeah. His, you know, and that, and that, where most people would find what he does mundane, he finds the the fun things within it. And he loves the sushi at the airport, like stuff like that, which is <laughs> nobody would say that they like that. So anyway, I, I do have I need to watch that. I haven't watched it in a while. But yeah, that's a up in the air. George Clooney. Great movie. Love that movie. So and it was surprising. Again, I, I thoroughly enjoy that movie as well. And I think the bittersweetness of it is part of its charm. It just what surprised me was specifically that you called it your favorite movie only because in my experience, it seems like everyone's favorite movie is something that they watched like between the ages of like 16 and 25. Mm, okay. Yeah. And I even saw like some paper or something talking about that. There's even like a brain development thing that you tend to huh. like latch on to the book, the song, the music or the movie from that part of your life that was your favorite then is just then locked in as your favorite for basically the rest of your life. And it almost gets impossible to replace it because of how your brain works. And so what I would follow up with you then is, what was your favorite movie from like that more those more formative years before yeah. you up in the air? Like or, or then again, not just one. Like what were some of your favorite movies before Up in the Air? Or obviously they still are, I'm sure. Well, I you know I think and I might be biased, but I feel lucky to kind of grew up in the 90s, mm. and I think it's the best 
time for movies there was. And it was an interesting transition, I, yeah. I think that nowadays they can't make movies like they did back then. There's Everything's getting so politically correct in our society in a lot of ways that they can't go to some topics you know, that are controversial or something like that. Comedians have to be more, more careful mm, nowadays right. with how they do things. So back then it was kind of, you know, a little more free with how things went. So a movie like Pulp Fiction, that would have been when I was in college, was okay. a movie that I'm not sure I'd put it on my all-time top five, but that kind of movie, it would be interesting to see how they'd make that nowadays. I'm not sure they could make a movie as in your face as much as they did back then. But like Shawshank Redemption was definitely one of my favorite movies and that's from that time as well and i actually just saw it on the big screen like two weeks ago they had it in wichita oh which was a great really? city which is a great city because they have a lot of classic movies that they play throughout you know if you know where to go and when they show them but yeah i saw it was about two weeks ago on the west side and i saw shawshank redemption and took somebody who had never seen it before oh my they they Holy so i was God, jealous yeah. it was the first time they had seen it and it was on the big screen it was just wonderful Growing up, one of my favorite movies was Jaws. Okay. And obviously that's a little bit older, um, but I saw that on the big screen. And so that, that one clicked because of how – when I say I saw it on the big screen, I saw it later uh, on the big screen. I didn't see it originally on the big screen. I was a little bit too oh, young. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but I loved movies like Smokey and the Bandit you know, and Caddyshack and you know, movies like that that were usually funny that were – I don't know how you'd describe them, but they were not always the most – uh, critically acclaimed movies. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, Big Lebowski was one of my favorites in college, and uh, that that one was, obviously became a big cult following, but it wasn't a hit initially. Right. I remember somebody saying, "Hey, you should go see this Big Lebowski. I think you'd like it." And I'm like, ah, "It looks kind of dumb," you know. And, <laughs> and I went and saw it the first time, and I was like, eh, "It wasn't that good." And then True, it takes it a again, while, like, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's that's somewhat just off the top of my head that I can think of, but um, I could start going through my database of movies and throw out all kinds of class. But, but I think the eighties, nineties, there's a lot of, there, there's a lot of bad movies, but for me, I really love the, most of the movies I probably would make a top 10 list would come from that era. I actually just watched uh, yesterday, a YouTube video from Cinefix and they were doing the top nine movies of the nineties within that though, they were kind of talking about several others and then it's kind of picking one movie to represent a whole group of movies. And uh-huh. I was shocked how many things on there they were going through that I hadn't even heard of. And mm. I'll, I'll uh, when we're done here, I'll, I'll send you the link and you can kind of see which ones you still need to see. But it was kind of neat to like think, okay, yes, I've already seen 75% of these. Ooh, but that means there's some really good 20-year-old movies I still need to see. And I got right. super excited to see these movies from the 90s that I haven't seen yet and need to catch up with. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm a sucker for... Just a fun, you know, movie sometime like Machete. I think that's a hilarious movie, you know, and and some and I'll, so I'll watch. I will if I'm going to go to a movie. So I saw Joker this weekend. Oh, OK, and, I haven't seen it yet. And it's not typically a movie I would go see. I'm usually going to go see something that I'm about the only person in the movie theater. Oh, <laughs> and right. It's about right. it's been there for two weeks and it's not making any money. And so I went and saw Joker. It was good. But, you know, I went with a group of people and that's kind of the reason I saw it. But, right. you know, I'm looking for those hidden gems, kind of maybe like you're saying that you hadn't seen or heard of. And somehow they slipped through the cracks, but there's something about them that makes them worth watching. That's maybe it's not made a bunch of money because it's not, not for everybody. But there's so many movies out there that I can find a bunch of them that are like for me. 
out there, and it's not for the mainstream. And I find them, you know, hilarious or thought provoking or whatever. You know? and, and it has this crazy satisfaction associated with that. It's like you almost like it's it's just yours. Like this whole movie that was made, it's like a secret. And yeah, you want to tell people about it, but it's like you can't believe that no one has seen it. And yeah, uh, there's a podcast I listen to called Film Spotting, and they, they just do movie reviews and stuff like that. But they give an award every year to basically the best underrated movie, and they call the award the Golden Brick Award, named after. Brick, the Joseph Gordon-Levitt movie that kind of fits that that category very well. Have you seen Brick, I presume? I have not seen Brick. Oh my gosh, you haven't seen Brick? <laughs> I've got to see it, I did, I did <laughs> not. I did not think I could stump you, honestly. I really didn't. Yeah, I've not seen it. Okay, yeah, I highly I recommend it. Brick. It's like a, I mean, I don't want to say too much about it, but it's basically a modern film noir. Okay. So it's set in a modern high school with this kind of film noir vibe, and Joseph Gordon-Levitt is the main character. You will love it. Okay. And nice. So yeah, what I thought was kind of funny is uh, I, I, it took me forever to kind of figure out your movie taste, and you kind of mentioned it there too. Yeah. But I think what I think I realized is, oh, you just basically like movies, period, and you'll like the Oscar winners, but then you'll also like the popcorn mindless movies. Correct. And I'm definitely way more snobbish, and yeah. I just think there's I only have x amount of time and i don't want to waste my time watching something that i'm going to feel is a waste of my time right actually the experience that kind of really just drove that home for me was when i watched league of extraordinary gentlemen in the theater <laughs> and i, I just, saw that oh <laughs> i hated Awful. it so much right but like <laughs> like halfway through i'm just like i'm like slouched down to where like my shoulders are where my butt should be and i'm just like i want to leave but i paid for this piece of crap and i stayed and yeah so those are those are the kind of movies I won't go see. Okay. So okay. the movies that cost $150 million. Oh, true. And okay. they're, you know, they may be good or they might not be great. I, I don't know. Like Will Smith's got a new movie called Gemini Man. I have no interest in seeing it. And it might yeah. be a good movie. Gotcha. And I don't know. I haven't even looked at the reviews because I don't, this just gotcha. there's nothing for me to right. go see it. I might see it if it's really, really, really good. I might catch it in a couple years or something like that. But, you know, I, I definitely am trying to find the hidden gems, but there's a certain type of movie. There's something about some comedy or a horror movie or something that might not be the greatest movie, but it has a quality. It's I probably am a fan of a lot of cult, like cult fan movies or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like some cheesy. So every year in Wichita, this time of the year they have a horror fest. They show these old horror movies from like the 70s and 80s. And I love them, even though they're not the best movies. But there's just something about them, whether they're funny, they're quirky, and I go and I watch them, and they're unique. They have something about them. You know, they're not near as good as The Exorcist or Jaws or something like that, but there's something about them. You, you could see, or maybe it was like an early film of a certain director or something like that, right. and, and they went on to make a big movie after that. But you could see part of their genius within these early movies. And so, you know, I don't need to be entertained by the entire movie. If I can find parts of it that are good, and I might, you know, snooze through part of it huh. that uh, I'll, uh, I'll enjoy like, but yeah, I, I, I'm not a romantic comedy fan. I have a list of a, probably five or 10 that I think are pretty good. And that's about all that I've ever found <laughs> in my entire <laughs> life. And I'm not a huge action movie fan. Like say there's a few that I've liked over the years, but yeah. other than that, I, I, I'll, if it's a interesting concept for a movie, or if it's something I've never seen before or if I've uh, an original concept for a movie, then that's, I'm interested in usually checking that out. Okay. So it sounds like you just like something that's at least taking a chance and you, if they fail, at least they tried to do something different. Yep. Versus, at least I haven't yeah. seen it before. Yeah. Okay. 
versus if it's just made for the least common denominator, you're like not interested. I've seen different. Well, it's kind of like the Marvel movies where they're yep. well made, but I'm guessing you kind of see them all as basically the same, which I, is kind of what they are. Yeah, and I and they may be good, and, and all the ones I've seen are good. Right, I just have no interest to see them. Right, like I've seen, I saw, you know, what is it, Wonder Woman, and I saw Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, yeah, those are good movies. Right, but I don't. I don't have any interest in seeing them. Yeah. You know, it's it entertaining. Um, Lion King. Lion King's awesome. But, you know, it's okay. I'd rather go see something that nobody's something, heard of. Something that's going to challenge. <laughs> yeah, something's going to challenge the way you think. Or, yeah, I, and, if I have a, like, favorite type of movie, it's certainly a movie that surprises me. And afterwards, I'm thinking about it, talking to my friends about it on the way home. Like, that's certainly the kind of movie I want to see. Um, it's rare, rare to find a movie like that. Which is going to be more your independent films anyway. Yes. And... Yes. One uh, another one that just came to mind, and I've only saw it the one time, and I would say it's not necessarily one of my favorites, but it kind of fits the category you're talking about. Is Primer? Haven't seen that one. Okay, it's uh, I don't even want to even say anything about that one. I think those guys have directed something else maybe since, but no. I again, I'm in. I'm impressed with myself that I'm that I'm stumping you here. Uh, you uh, are. Uh, the, the movie I saw with Cole Davis, actually, the Friends coach, uh, we went a year or two ago. We saw Mother with. Uh, oh yeah, Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah, and. It had terrible reviews. It had like 0% on Rotten right, Tomatoes right. or something like that. And I'm like, hey, we should probably go see this because it must be really bad. And we got out of that movie. We talked for an hour okay, about that movie yeah. after it was over. And and we because we had no idea about what it was about. We just went in blind. And right. it was crazy. It was weird. And we didn't quite know what was going on. And there were like us two and like one other guy in the theater. And when the movie ended... The guy in front of us looked at us and go, what was that? <laughs> you know? And, <laughs> and so it was a unique experience. And we still laugh about it today. You remember that movie we saw, Mother? Like, what was that? Like, you know, so I enjoyed that even though it wasn't this movie. And I avoided it because of the reviews. But then I missed out on the experience you're talking about. So, yeah, yeah I can definitely see, especially something like that, where that's that's a Darren Aronofsky movie, which, again, I don't know how much you follow specific directors or whatever, but... I mean, I probably should have seen it just because it was Aronofsky. I do take a chance if it's certain directors. I would certainly take it. Like, the guy that made Up in the Air, uh, oh, Reitman, yeah. Jason Reitman, yeah. he's had some some bombs. Right. But I've watched some of them, and I've generally liked them. You know, for some reason, they weren't hits, but um, he's made some really interesting movies that weren't successful. Uh, so, yeah, I'll, same thing. I'll, like, Darren, uh, what's his name he just said? Aronofsky. Aronofsky, yeah. Uh, so, I'll... I'm the same way with certain directors. Yeah, Reitman started so strong because his first three movies were Thank You for Smoking, Juno, and Up in the Air. It's like, holy cow, this kid can't miss. Yep. And then he's kind of missed ever since. But even the ones he's missed, uh, there's something about those movies I've liked. So he okay. made one with Adam Sandler about, it was called like Women and Men, Women and Children or something like okay. that. And it totally bombed. It was a horrible, but I liked it. And okay. I don't, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's just him. I just, maybe he makes movies for me. Like you're saying, like this movie is made for me. And so, yeah, if you find a director that you kind of click with a little bit, even their movies you don't like are probably, you're probably going to like them. Maybe, maybe I could compromise with more like having them as background movies. Cause I tend to be like, I, in my, when I go to the theater, I don't get a snack I don't, or anything. I'm just, it's just me <laughs> and the screen. And I'm just like laser and focused. Like, and again, I'm, I tend to agree with the Oscar critic type people so i'm kind of there uh -huh. for that but maybe movies like that and if i just said oh i'm just gonna throw it on at home while i'm cleaning or something and that way i kind of watched it but then also don't feel like maybe i've invested my you know time that i'm so precious with into it and, and we still experience those i did that almost every night i put in a deep gotcha. in the evening and 
sometimes I'm just going to sit and watch it, and sometimes I'm, you know, going to email recruits while it's on in the background or something. Gotcha. Like that, you know, so even if it's one you haven't seen before, though, I guess if you have it on DVD, you've probably seen it before. Yeah, almost, almost. I, there's a few I haven't seen that I okay. own. I've got a pretty big collection now. Every once in a while, running. I'm going through them alphabetically. So Are you still I'm at, okay? Yeah, I'm on. I'm on M. So I'm about halfway. Over halfway. <laughs> Uh, let's uh, let's go ahead and because I haven't talked about Aronofsky with anybody else here yet, so he's definitely has some interesting interesting ones. Uh, have you seen Requiem for a Dream? Yes. Okay. Movie. Yeah, that's my reaction to that one was, oh my gosh, I never want to see that again. And then the next day, <laughs> I said, oh my gosh, I need to buy that movie. Like it was just that, yeah. the the funny thing about that movie. Uh, it's not funny, but the funny uh, story I have about that is I hadn't I didn't see that movie when it came out. And I had a friend that at the time was working in Hollywood, mm. and she we, we got talking about movies a lot, and and I was just, I was getting in a kind of a stage of I was getting bored with movies, okay, and I wanted to see unique movies at that time, so I've kind of got and and I said, you know, any movies that came out recently that are you know just pushing the edges a little bit, and she's right. like, have you seen Requiem for a Dream? I go, no, I haven't seen it. Well, go see that one, and. <laughs> So I did, and so yeah, he's that that was funny. So yeah, he's he's made a lot of interesting movies, like The Wrestler. Wrestler, I loved The Wrestler. Great movie. The one that I remember being so excited for the trailer, and then the movie itself just kind of fell flat. Was The Fountain that he did right after, or not right after? He did yeah between the two. The trailer looks so cool, with like the parallel timelines. I'm like, this is going to be amazing. It's Aronofsky doing these three timelines, and it looked so cool, and it was just okay. And that was one that got like really good reviews from the critics, and it, I had to watch the same, same thing. I had the same feeling. I was like, uh, it's okay. Like, it's over my head or something. It almost got maybe too artistic. The one that I... I again, I still think the critics are wrong, but the one from a few years ago that the critics loved and I just thought was horrible was Tree of Life with Brad Pitt. Yeah, I didn't see that one. Okay, yeah, I don't think you're missing anything. It's, ah, I don't know. I thought it was pretty heavy-handed. Like I felt like everyone who th- likes it thinks, oh, I'm so smart because I like Tree of Life. I think I think it was more like a em- the emperor with no clothes kind of thing where it's like you're seeing stuff or he's pretending there's depth to this movie that d- it doesn't actually have and it's, I don't know. Yeah kind of too highfalutin for its own good or whatever yeah i agree one thing you mentioned and so it's funny so my two favorite movies that i kind of always see as a tie were kind of the first two you mentioned when we started talking pulp fiction and shawshank redemption which which again kind of both came out right around my junior year of high school but then you mentioned you know i think you mentioned shawshank redemption taking someone to it who had never seen it before that is the best thing ever so like i've watched pulp fiction you know a dozen times or so but almost all of those are with someone else watching it for their first time and Mm -hmm. i just get that joy of seeing pulp fiction again from a fresh perspective and you you almost you even if you're not paying attention to the other person just knowing they haven't seen it before you're watching Mm -hmm. it differently and i think that's such an important part of the movie experience that we maybe uh, don't always appreciate. You know, there's a there's an interesting YouTube thing that you can find is of reaction videos. I don't know if you ever oh, watched like, okay. YouTube reaction yeah, videos. Yeah, and some. Sometimes, sometimes there'll be a movie and they'll do a person. It'd be like me and you sitting and watching Pulp Fiction for the first time. Okay. And it's just, video, it's just filming our reaction yeah. to the movie. And I find, I, I was like, why is this popular why is this like you're just looking at these two people you're not watching the movie you're right. <laughs> it because you've already seen that movie and you know what they're looking at it's what exactly what you're saying and there's these 
YouTube channels have hundreds of thousands of views oh, wow. of these films, you know, and, and and so I have found that with like I've gotten into some weird, really weird movies, like probably uh, over the top, pushing the envelope of what's acceptable in cinema sometimes in terms of controversial movies sometimes. And you can find these kind of reaction because people have had the same thoughts that I have. Mm. They got to show their friends and their (laughs) friends are just freaking out and they're like can't handle watching it, you know, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, there is something about showing uh, friends. We would do a kind of movie every one or two weeks with some buddies in a in our apartment here at the same kind of deal. We'd try to find something that would be, you know, people hadn't seen before kind of, you know, older maybe in the head and, and, and then watch the reaction. And it's always one of the most fun things. Um, a couple then on, always, well, a couple things. One, the reaction video that I kind of remembered is like, those are like a six year old learning that Darth Vader is Luke's father kind of thing. And, <laughs> and that's, uh, that's adorable. But, uh, so a couple of movies that again, I would say fit this category that, it's kind of funny we're recording this conversation when I would probably only recommend these to you and a few other people. But uh, so did you see kids? Yes, I okay. own kids. Okay. And so because I saw kids, I've seen about everything that Harmony Corrine has made. Oh, okay, and I don't know if I've and, seen and, anything else. And he's made some awful, terrible movies. Well, I can imagine, like, yeah. But there's hints of brilliance in some of gotcha. them. Like Spring Breakers. He's made Spring Breakers. That's probably his most well-known movie. Okay. And it was you know, generally average, but there's parts of it that were just like, I've never seen this before. Gotcha. And, you know, so he, there's some genius there that whether it's unfocused or whatever, it only happens every once in a while. But yeah, kids is definitely a one that is smacks you in the face. And that, yeah, that was one where I was definitely uncomfortable watching it. And the, the two friends, so it was actually my roommate and his girlfriend at the time had put it in and I was like, Oh sure. I'll watch this with you. Well, kids. Yeah. Kids. Sounds good. Third of the way, yeah. Third of the way through, they get up and walk away, and I was just yeah. like watching it like a train wreck. Where I'm like, "This is horrible," but I can't look away. Oh yeah, there's a. If you're looking for movies that you're not able, you can sit through. There's one called a Serbian film. It's it might be like the worst movie ever made, but it's really well done. It's just unbelievable. I don't. Even, I can't even start to tell you what it's about. But if you're uh, need to borrow it sometime, <laughs> <laughs> the the title is a Serbian film, or it is a Serbian okay. film. No, that's the name of the title. It's, oh. The reason they named it that is because these people were protesting their gov- their own government, and they made the worst movie they could possibly make about the worst topics and most taboo subjects, and they named it a Serbian film to bring shame upon the country of Serbia. Oh! <laughs> yeah, and it's probably the most well-known movie ever made in Serbia. So Okay, so and another one for you. Have you seen Bronson with Thomas Hardy? Have not seen Bronson. I've heard of it. Okay, but I haven't seen it. Yeah, put put that on the list as well. Yeah, I'm writing these down. Okay, again, I wouldn't even say necessarily that I liked it per se, but That's you okay. need to, but you need to watch it. <laughs> yeah, and and again, Thomas Hardy is amazing and this is probably his best performance of anything and he's and that's saying a lot because he's I'm, I'm a big thomas hardy fan yeah i think that when that that kind of recommendation is the perfect recommendation for a person like me is that <laughs> I, I don't need to have a happy ending or i don't need to have a predict i certainly don't want to see a predictable movie okay yeah i want a movie to maybe make me feel uncomfortable maybe like <laughs> surprise me you know at the end i know it's just a movie and so if it's thought-provoking great so if a reviewer wrote something bad or negative review, but they wrote something like, this is only a movie that my decrepit punk rocker uncle would watch, I'd be like, okay, how much? I might check that out. You know, it sounds <laughs> kind of like something unique. I, I like your uncle. He sounds pretty cool. Right. Versus so. if it's setting box office records, you're like not interested. <laughs> yeah, not usually. Yeah, not usually. 
But then, so you don't follow the Oscars necessarily, or just kind of like you take them, you could take them or leave them. Uh, yeah, I, I could take. I I do one thing that that they have here um, is they'll do the Oscar shorts. Yes, they'll play the Oscar shorts one day in a movie theater in Wichita, and I try to find those and see that because I really enjoy that. Yeah, no, those are. Um, good. But those, once again, nobody's seen those or hardly, and so they're not made for mainstream. True. Yeah, shorts in general aren't made for mainstream consumption. Yeah. Yeah, and so, uh, but you know, it, it could be like Shawshank that won of a bunch of awards, and there are movies that. Uh, what was the one? Three billboards. Oh right, true. Years ago, and so yeah, they they get it. They figure it out sometimes, but you know, in terms of if somebody says this performance was the most amazing performance, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I might see it. The Joaquin Phoenix and Joker. It was definitely all about him and his performance, and he was right. pretty amazing in it. Okay. Um. And and the movie was decent, you know, it was okay. But okay. so it just kind of depends. I, I I don't. There sometimes are movies like Spotlight that kind of I think was a one. I don't know if that got nominated, but it won. Kind of. Yeah. Okay. There you go. So enough in the air. I think one. So it, it, like it was nominated. It was nominated. Well, yeah, it might have been Golden Globe, but yeah, it was nominated for or this what's picture. The wine tasting movie. Uh, Sideways. Years ago. Sideways. Like so, I hear about those, and they have a little bit of an extended run, and I'll. Definitely go check it out because of that. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it just kind of depends, you know. I had a buddy that's on the SAG or whatever, you know. Oh, he, he gets the screeners? He gets a vote. And so he would get all the movies. And so sometimes I'd go over Christmas home. Oh, man. And, uh, and I'd get the I'd go over his house and watch a whole bunch of them at the same time. Yeah, that's awesome. So while you have the massive DVD collection, the only claim to fame I have that could rival that is I have seen like every best – picture nominee going back to like 1947 or something oh um, wow so i've kind of made an effort of that what, what is your dvd collection up to now are you hit a, have you hit a thousand okay yet? well in terms of movies i'm at 664 oh okay okay and but i've got a lot of tv shows oh okay that's what i was saying so it's probably in the 800 range in terms of dvds or you know all that combined but yes yeah, 664 movies the actual movies for sure it's it's growing. Okay, right, right. You're still actively, actively buying. I had a there's a guy here that I did a podcast with last year that that puts on this horror fest, and I go, you know, I've, I think at the time I had like 500 movies, and I was interviewing him. I go, how's that? Is that a good collection? He goes, let me know when you get to a thousand. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, okay. Oh, yeah, I'm intimidated now. So I, I also think, though, too, so I, I was working on a DVD collection in the early 2000s. And then in the basically fall of 03, spring of 04, we opened up a DVD rental store here in Cheney. And I think that mm-hmm. experience of we were open for until almost 10 years because we closed in August of 2013. And I think that just kind of disillusioned me from the ownership feeling special. Like it almost broke it and... Mm-hmm. You know, our store ended up having, you know, around 2,500 DVDs, but just the idea of owning them lost its magic for me. And mm-hmm. so when we closed up, I definitely kept some. So I have about 200 sitting over there and I have no interest in buying them or probably that's keeping up with the format. Like I don't have any Blu-rays or a Blu-ray player and you can buy things digitally mm-hmm. now. So I don't know. I definitely see the draw. And I think in a universe where I never owned that DVD store, I would probably be right there with you doing the same thing. But I think it broke me in a way. I love, I'm a geek in the way that I love to watch every single thing that's on that DVD about the movie. Oh, really? And I, if it has a commentary. So like if, if you've seen it before and I put it in, 
I'm going to put it in and put the commentary on. Oh, right. And I might not watch it, but it's a great background way to follow it. True. Too, because you've seen the movie, and then now you're hearing them talk about it. You know, some DVDs have some pretty cool documentaries about it, or they have some other things that are interesting about the movie. Some of them don't have anything at all about them. But what I found is Netflix or whatever. You can have Netflix, and you can have, and they have a bunch of movies. But most of the movies on Netflix, I'm not interested in. I mean, there's there's some. I, w- I can find movies that I would like to watch. Right. But I know that I've got 600 movies that I'm interested in that I have. I can just randomly pick one out and I go, okay, that's one I kind of like. There's something about right. the movie that I like. So it's easy for me to find something to be entertaining. And Netflix, sometimes I think people just watch them because they're right in front of you. They promote it right in front of you. They, you know, there's the movie coming out. There's a new movie and here it is. It's like the first thing and they want you to click on it you know and um, i'm sitting there going through netflix and you know i'm going through pages and pages and pages trying to find something that might be different that i hadn't heard of and then i'm gonna look it up on the internet and maybe i want to watch that movie and now it's 30 minutes later i still haven't picked one out right so i feel like i've got a better collection than netflix does for me (laughs) no right for For you right right no that's that's a good way to look at it it's definitely more of you trying to avoid the mainstream and uh Trying to do something different. And like you said, you don't want to waste time on a two-hour movie that you're not quite sure you like. And, you know, Netflix, they have so many movies that I've just never heard of before. Yeah, and their job is to keep you on their platform versus actually recommending good movies to you or whatever. On the commentary thing, so I kind of got into those when they first started having those commentaries on DVDs. I I was, like, really into it. And then you kind of hit a few bad ones, and I kind of lost interest. But the couple ones I remember that I would recommend, the American Beauty one was kind of fascinating, especially at the time when I saw it, you know, when I was, you know, probably still in my early 20s and was, like, it talked a lot about the filmmaking process in a way that kind of was, I found enlightening. And another one was Chasing Amy. I remember thinking that the Chasing, Chasing Amy one with Kevin Smith and Ben Affleck was almost as funny as the movie itself because they're just basically screwing around the whole time. And it was just hilarious. So that that one kind of comes to mind. And then the one that kind of got me going the other way was Mel Gibson on Braveheart. It's so boring. (laughs) It's it's basically like he'll say like one thing every couple of minutes. And it basically gets to the point where you're like, shut up, Mel. I'm trying to watch the movie. Right. Yeah, there is, but there are some bad ones. I sometimes what they do is they'll have like three people on a commentary, but they've recorded them separately. Yes, that's annoying. Yeah, that's, and I'm not a fan of that. Yeah, no, it gets very distracting, and you're like, and they don't tell you that up front, and so like you realize right. like five minutes in, are they even in the same room? <laughs> yeah, and no, they are not. Anchorman has a one of the classic commentary tracks ever. Oh, I oh, does he do it in character? No, oh, they okay. totally ignore the movie. They totally ignore the movie. <laughs> <laughs> They're just like totally doing stupid stuff. And they have random people drop by, celebrities, and they're just talking about and every once in a while they'll refer to the movie, but just in a sarcastic way. <laughs> and it's just two hours of them just screwing off, you know. And then um one of the let's see, South Park guys, one of their movies, they did they did the same thing. It would made a drinking game out of it. And so you just listen to them get intoxicated more and more as they go. I can't remember uh which movie it was. Like but, basketball yeah, they, or orgasmo one or something. Of those, yeah. yeah, something like that. Yeah. That's uh that's funny. And uh I have not listened to it yet, but I'm pretty sure Will Farrell does a podcast where he is Ron Burgundy and like it's the Ron Burgundy Correct. podcast. I've heard it. Okay, is it good? Yeah. It's decent. Okay. It's uh you, it gets know, old. you gotta listen to a couple of them. Oh, okay. But yeah, it's it's not bad. It's worth <laughs> it's worth checking out. I'll yeah, check it's, it's, out. there's some of them that are funnier than others. I've probably listened to half a dozen of them. So they're they're not long. They're they're shorter, so you can get through them pretty quick. But if you're looking for a podcast that's 
you, you probably are aware of this. There's one called the Rewatchables. Have you heard of this podcast? Yes. Yes. I do listen okay. to that one. Yeah. Yeah. That's, so that's, that's good. Whenever I'm traveling, that's one I download and I'll, you know, listen to because they're in the same vein as the ages we are. And they like a lot of the same movies. Yeah. Basically, if anything, I saw, they'll see the titles. They're like, oh, shoot, I need to rewatch that because it's, it'll be like something maybe I've only seen once and it's been a while. I'm like, I need to, I want to rewatch that one. So the ones I've listened to tend to be the ones that are the movies that I've seen a million times and don't need to rewatch before listening. But no, I do right. do enjoy the way they kind of make a game out of out of it all and you know talk about who won the movie and all that yeah they but in the basketball references and <laughs> yeah so. yeah we can do one with track and field references we got to do that there you go and uh <laughs> and yeah so so if you could be instantly transported to any time and or location in history where would you go you know for me i grew up in ohio <laughs> and i'm fascinated with this part of the country in kansas so i would be you know with this question that's a a question that for me is like I don't want to die wherever I go, so like safety. Right. But if I if I'm going to be safe, if I know I'm going to survive it, and I can go to anywhere, anytime, I would probably go to the Wild West. Okay. And that's such an interesting to think about those guys traveling across and and gals obviously families traveling across the country in wagons and just there's not there's no laws out here. They're just it's free game right just as a the concept is crazy and when i moved to wichita one of the first things i did was i bought a book about kansas and about all the ghost towns of kansas and what i mean Hmm. by ghost town is basically towns that don't exist anymore oh right right or they used to be bigger now they're smaller and they were all built based on where they thought a railroad might go things like that and it was fascinating for me to kind of learn the geography of kansas and to learn the history of all these places and the people that live there and, and how they were trying to make it out of nothing. And I just think about also the, the weather that comes through here sometimes and what they might have faced and the challenges that they faced. And But I just think about some of those uh, Wild West towns and the saloons. And I, I live about half a mile from the Delano District in Wichita, which was the real Wild West. Huh. And the things that crazy stuff that went down i would if i was able to be safe i would love to explore through that time and you know if i was to bring somebody i would i would bring you know some freak athlete that uh no one had been able to see do things like bo jackson you know and (laughs) and a guy that could just do amazing things that nobody you know you always think about like if i could go back in time with what i know now and had the ability i had back then you know, but then I think, well, if I took a freak athlete, right. or I'd Shaquille take somebody O'Neal, like, yeah, 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 something like nobody's ever seen before, or like I would take like a guy like Joe Rogan, who's just inquisitive and could ask all <laughs> kinds of questions, and I would just listen to him talk to all these people about their experiences <laughs> in their life. You know, yeah, he's fascinating to listen to just because he's so curious, and then it's kind of silly some of the things he doesn't know sometimes. But yeah, he's just. I kinda... feel like that's me though. I feel like okay. if I had a real popular podcast that would be i would be the idiot asking questions that i probably should know the answer to but i'm just i'm gonna go ahead and ask him because i don't i need to i need to know what it is the other one who's like that is kevin smith who directed you know clerks and, and yep. all the jan bob stuff he does his podcast smodcast and he's very much the same way it's like dude you're almost 50 and you don't know anything but it's adorable <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah he's i do like him he was on rogan's podcast actually uh about a year or so ago so they had a pretty good conversation and I, I need to go i need to go double check i probably listened to that i kind of fell off of rogan just because three hours every day i can't keep up <laughs> yeah i i get about half an hour into it and then if it's not something i'm super interested in i'll i'm moving on that's by the way to do it, yeah 
but for me, like when you talk about the traveling stuff, that's something that really for me, I, I put it, I download a two hour podcast or three hours that just flies right by. Yes. And I don't makes, listen to I music. Listen yeah. To music. Yep. yeah. There yep. you go. Yeah. I think a lot of people are going that way. Um, so I think that's a, that's a cool thing about the technology we got now. And hopefully a lot of people are listening to this right now, driving to work. <laughs> Absolutely. And unfortunately we are out of time. So I better wrap this up, but thank you for your time and we'll have to have you on again at some point. And thank you to everyone for listening. Catch you later.